0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Bazaar Banter. Happy Valentine's Day. I'm your host, Iman.
1: And I'm Ala. And as you can tell by the title today, we're going to be talking all about love and everything to do with love, because today's Valentine's Day, and we thought this is the perfect moment to take time and sit down and reflect on love. So why did we want to do this episode? I'm going to be honest with you guys. We wanted to do this episode even before we had Buzzard Banter as a podcast, because Iman and I have kind of been in our self-growth journey, as I'm sure we all are. And in that journey, I've gotten a lot into reading recently. I've been reading left and right, and I look towards... um, I look... At some YouTube videos for recommendations and a lot I've been looking for recently has been like oh books you should read in your early 20s or books you should read like if for certain occasions whatever the case it may be and I came across this book that kept being recommended time and time again which is called All About Love, New Visions by Bell Hooks and everybody kept saying like I wish I read this book earlier in my life you know it's the perfect book for your early 20s yada 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 so i finally bite bit the bullet and went out and bought it and then i started reading a little bit into it and then i texted iman i'm like this is such a good book you need to read this so then we kind of had our own book club and anytime we would meet we would also talk about snippets we read so we've had these discussions in the past and both of us finished this book recently or somewhat finished it. And we're here to kind of talk about it and reflect and give our own insights as well. So let's get started. So the way this book was written, it's very much structured in the way it has sections and talking about love in different forms. So as an overarching point, she doesn't talk about love in just a romantic sense, you know, love in family, love in childhood, love in every sense of our life. And she kind of starts it by saying the culture we're in now and the definition of love, because we can't start this chapter without defining love. So how about we get into that?
0: Yeah, so she talks a little bit about kind of this culture of um, cynicism when it comes to love, Um, sometimes out of fear, but other times because people are looking for sort of this feeling of connection without love. Um, And so we wanted to kind of talk a little bit about how there's so many definitions of love in society, and yet people also don't want to talk about love enough because of this ambiguity around love. Mm -hmm. And but the sort of textbook definition that she gives toward the beginning of the book is that love is the will to extend oneself for the purpose of nurturing one's own or another's spiritual growth.
1: Yeah, so she talks a lot about how in our culture today and in our generations where we are cynical about love we have a hard time talking about love because it's this ambiguous term. Nobody really has a good definition for it. So overall, we just choose to ignore talking about it. And in the generations to come, we have a hard time explaining what love is to one another. So on top of that, she kind of went into details about the definition that Iman just gave. So she also adds that true love is a mix of various ingredients and those ingredients compose of care, affection, recognition, respect, commitment, and trust, as well as open and honest communication. So she says that if one of those ingredients is missing, you can't say it's true love. And I really love this because A, it contextualizes it and puts words to the feeling of love but also she highly reiterates time and time again throughout this book that all these components are very much needed to bake your cake which is love and if one of them is missing your cake is going to taste nasty so it's like she makes it um very easy to understand in that sense and it reiterates that love is an action because all these verbs are actions it's not just a feeling it's the work you need to put into having care, affection, recognition, respect, commitment, trust, open and
0: honest communication. So we talk a little bit about how love is an action rather than a feeling. And I think an important thing to note, especially when it comes to romantic love, is that our brains, when we first talk about that feeling of falling in love when you first start dating someone or you first get into a relationship with them your brain is essentially on dopamine adrenaline oxytocin these very strong hormones that kind of cause those feelings of love but that for a lot of people after a certain amount of time what we call like the honeymoon period um, many people feel that they're not in love anymore because love doesn't feel or seem the way that it used to and that kind of ties into this whole idea of love being an action and not a feeling because love shouldn't be this I love you or I will love you as much as you love me. Love is a for sure wholehearted commitment to um, loving a person because you want to see them bloom into the person that they're meant to be. And it's easy to understand this too when you think of like parental
1: love because it's not that they all of a sudden have this honeymoon period where they love their child and then they don't. You know, it's it's un, it's chosen love. It's not like all of a sudden I fell in love with this person. It's, you know, every day you choose to continue to love this person, uh, act on it. And it also shows you that you can't chase love because seeking love shouldn't be this thing you put a lot of effort into. Just the act of being open to love is strong enough for love to find you and for you to find love everywhere around you. So that's kind of the overarching context of the love definition and the actions that love requires, but we're going to go into much detail about that. And So, Bell Hooks starts this whole thing, um, the next chapter, is talking about love and childhood because that's the first stage of love. And she reiterates that in our childhood, what we see and what we hear about love is what we come to understand love to be in adulthood. So, I think this chapter, I loved this chapter and I took so many notes on it because, A it makes you think a lot about how you treated love as a kid and how those forms manifested into the person you are today. But also it makes you think about the future of, okay, when I do have kids, how am I going to treat them with love? And what should I take away from this book in order to understand what raising kids should be like?
0: Yeah, and I mean... Alla and I are not parents, but but I think we sort of understand this concept of obviously abuse and neglect do not equate to love. Um, And it's kind of like how we were talking about earlier with like, you know, all of these ingredients adding to love. And it's so interesting because even in like her early years, the author talks about in this chapter, she talks about sort of the experience of thinking she knew what love was, but then realizing as she got older that, you know, there were parts of her childhood that maybe, like, lacked what love was supposed to be and things like that. Um, And it's sort of like this whole thing of, like, pushing it forward, right? Like, you know, maybe some of the things our parents didn't do, we get to do with our children. Um, and, And kind of this whole concept of, like, you know, some of the things that you're not able to get from your parents and certain, you know, needs and things like that, it's important to have that sort of like community of love around children mm-hmm. so that they can kind of get some of their needs met with other individuals, like an aunt or a godparent and other people of that sort.
1: And we talk about this all the time too in our cultures of, you know, South Asian, Middle Eastern cultures, of how it really does take a village to raise a child. And I think about my own childhood. I don't know about you, but I used to grow up with so many people around me. You know, in my grandma's house, people were constantly coming and going. And a lot of times I could be left alone with my grandparents for days on end. And that was the parental figure I had in that moment, right? And she highly reiterates this, because she also says that, like, with kids, sometimes, what if they are frustrated with their parents, or in that moment, there is tension between the parent-child relationship, then it's crucial to make sure your kid has other sources of people to go to, to find comfort, and to find solace, and I love that, that she did reiterate that, because I felt like, I did have that my whole life when if something wasn't, if I was in a little fit with my mom or something, I always had my grandma to turn to and
0: be like, grandma, I'm sad because my mom said this or something like that. I don't know if you ever felt that way. Yeah, um, I think for me personally, I had less of a community because my parents were kind of moving around a lot. Um, But I do think I felt that sense of community just within my own family unit. Mm -hmm. Like if my brother and I were fighting, I would go to my mom. If my mom and I were fighting, I would go to my dad. So in that sense, I can kind of understand that feeling. Yeah. Um, And it makes you think, too, because, you know, we are children
1: of immigrants. And as lovely as my childhood was in Iran, the truth is that that's not the case anymore and I'm not surrounded by all those people I was surrounded with back then so when I do have kids what's gonna come for my own kids you know because they're not gonna have that big community anymore so they have to turn to people in my life like you will be there and you know like godparents or aunties and you know not blood aunties but you know those are the people that the chosen family aspect of it. And I love the thought of that. Yeah. Um, so the last thing we wanted to touch on for the children aspect of love, I think she captured it very well of love will not be present if grown-ups who parent do not know how to love. So as long as you keep that in mind and understand that children are also humans with their own rights, and they should be treated as such, and the children deserve love, that's a good key takeaway to have. And she touches on this a lot more in the future too, but she goes into like commitment to love and what that means outside of it. So, you know, we built the foundation of defining love and growing up with love, but now we're kind of moving towards having to practice love and what does that mean
0: yeah and kind of along the lines of commitment to love um bell hooks has this whole section where she talks about um how you can't really control how the world treats you but you can control how you react to the world and sort of a part of this is um finding love and, and life within your work because it's not just about what you do it's about how you do it um, and Allah always says this but it's kind of a lot of it is about romanticizing your life and bringing joy into it um, regardless yeah. of whether like it's your passion or not right it's you just kind of take it day by day and put love into the work you do.
1: I love the way she phrases a lot of things because you know, she gets very real. And she makes you understand that, for example, with adulthood, most of your waking hours are spent at work, whether that be an office or whatever your work looks like. So she was saying, you know, people hold off on the feeling of love until they come home to their family or whatever the case is, but then you're only getting a glimpse of love in a day's, You know, it's that's a fraction, but you need to f- find a way to have that love with you throughout your whole day and your life. And if you don't necessarily love your work and you go to work being like, oh, I hate this job, like, you know, all these things, you have to find a way to kind of romanticize your Mm -hmm. work and whatever your day consists of in order to just kind of have those like happy, hormony feelings of, Mm -hmm. you know, I have love around me and I love my life. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like you got to just trick your ba- brain, even if you don't necessarily feel that way. And I, I it was funny when I was reading it because
0: I was like, you know, it's a lot easier said than done, but it's something to take away. I think it's really about finding and appreciating the small happy moments in your day, right? hmm Yeah. And then she goes into
1: talking about how love should not – like, you should – Seek love from a place of fulfillment, not from a place of lack. And I love this saying just overall because you shouldn't feel like you need to search for love or go after love because you don't have it. But realizing that you do have love all around you if you're open to seeing it, kind of like put your rose colored glasses on, see where love is all around you. If you, it doesn't mean like people there's love in every sense of the world and so moving on and living life through that lens can try to bring a better life and bring more love into the life you currently have
0: and she was talking a little bit about how you can never really love anybody if you are unable to love yourself and Ala and I got into a bit of a debate about it earlier, because I do think it's a very, like, complex phrase. Like All her phrases are very, like, they make <laughs> loaded. You think. They yeah. make you think, right? And um, Al, if you want to share a little bit about your perspective first, and then I can tell you what I thought.
1: I think from the standpoint of the book, she was trying to explain that. Loving yourself is the first thing you need to do before you can love anybody else because by loving yourself, you get to understand yourself better and understand your own needs better and understand how to treat yourself with respect and care and affection and all these like ingredients that love needs. But so, if you're unable to give yourself that, then looking for it, it's the same thing of like you're looking to, like, replace a lack, but if you're fulfilled internally, then you know what the definition of love is, and you can give it easier. Uh, I don't know if Mm. that made sense. No, it (laughs)
0: definitely makes sense. I think the perspective that I had on it was just given how we were talking about, like, you know, like, finding moments and pieces of happiness throughout the day and things like that, from the perspective of like showing kindness to a stranger or like things like that. Can I not like certain things about myself and show somebody else love or kindness? Sure. But I do think kind of all is right in the sense that it's a little more complicated with like your closer relationships. Mm -hmm. Because it's true, how you love yourself is how you teach others to love you too.
1: And at the end of the day, your longest relationship is going to be the one you have with yourself. So understanding that and trying to grow with that lens also makes you understand how important it is to love yourself and trying to be gentle with yourself. It doesn't mean I have to love every aspect of myself, but an overarching love, you know? Remember that this Valentine's Day. (laughs) Exactly. You know, you just make sure that you also give yourself love once in a while. For example, my birthday is coming up and I was thinking about, oh, what do I want to do? Oh, all these things. And I'm not the biggest birthday fan. (laughs) And it's very frustrating. Every year I have like a crisis about this. But I was thinking, I'm like, you know, I would love a day filled with just really doing the things I love and not feeling like I owe anybody anything or I have to do anything with anybody or whatever the case is. And just going out and making sure (laughs) I'm happy on that day and doing things that bring happiness into my life. And it made me think, like, why do we wait for special occasions to do that? Why do we wait for Valentine's? Why do we wait for Mm -hmm. birthdays? All these things, you know, these are things we should try to promote in everyday life, at least a little bit. So Mm -hmm. I've been trying my best. It's obviously time crunches and stuff like that happen, but just make sure you give yourself a little bit of grace here and there where you do something for you, for nobody else, and just have joy in that.
0: I was thinking about that on my drive here today, actually, because I was thinking about how whenever I'm just in my car by myself jamming out, I really do feel like I'm romanticizing my life. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why do people wait till like Valentine's Day to like think about love or think about loving life or think about loving themselves, or you know? And yeah. then I, I just it made me so happy that like my brain was so romantic yeah. that I could just experience things like that if I just let myself, you know?
1: I've told you this before, but I remember when I used to be in therapy, she used to tell me, you know, like you get so busy in life you forget to take care of yourself and so she made me do this thing where I had to put an alarm for every Thursday at noon or something because that's like the time I knew I had time in my school schedule and the alarm was titled literally like recharge yes or no and so she said having that reminder even just once a week for literally a second where you ask yourself, do I need to do something for myself right now to feel better about the moment? Or am I good to go? Am I good to go on with my day? And there were times that I would get that reminder, I drove myself to the beach and just sat there and read. Or there were times I got that reminder and I took a nap because I felt like, you know, that's what I needed. And I'm not gonna lie, I don't practice that same Think today. Maybe we all should, but it is a good reminder just to have at least once a week check in with yourself, see what you need that you want to do just for the sake of bringing your own spirits up a little bit and feeling that fulfillment in life.
0: Yeah. And, you know, Bell Hooks in this book, she talks a lot about like self love and kind of prioritizing your needs, which is interesting because I feel like more of this concept of self love has become more common now. And because this book is a little bit older, I was surprised that so much of it was revolved around like, knowing your needs and things like that. But I think the kind of the other side of the coin of that sometimes is that a lot of people in society, and our society in general, sometimes it's becoming like selfish, right? And she talks a lot about how greed kind of kills love, and yeah, Allah, if you want to start. What I took away from this, there were some
1: parts, I'm not going to lie about this section, that I was confused by, but she did really say that in America specifically, all of this is, you know, talking about American culture, and just from what she's seen. um, Obviously, she can't talk about the world as a whole but she does say like capitalism encourages a state of endless craving and within that you know we crave for more and more and more and how that doesn't really correlate into love and something she said was like living simply makes love simple and that was kind of how she left the chapter and wanted the takeaway to be but I don't think I understood it as well as you did so Mm -hmm. I'm gonna pass this to you because I was a little confused about that last bit but
0: yeah some of the wording in this book was a little interesting I think it could have she could have ended some sections better some things are like unrealistic like how can you like
1: saying living simply because she goes on about talking about all the negatives of capitalism and materialism and all these things and then at the end she says we need to live simple and to me when I think that I'm like okay do we need to go back to when we like didn't live in a house and we made fire and you know we caught our own food all these things I'm like what does that mean she kind of left it without talking about what that means so
0: yeah I think there was sort of this constant shift from societal to individual that i think she could have organized better but i think from like a societal perspective she was kind of going off of this shift from justice and freedom to more materialism and money which we do see in our society today and how instead of looking for justice in the public world individuals have kind of turned into their private lives seeking a place of solace and escape um and that sort of puts people onto greed and instant gratification and sort of these me 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 like all of these things for me um type of energy and mm-hmm. one of the things that she said in the book that really stood out to me was that you know addiction like and like instant gratification makes love impossible and greed perpetuates addiction as people are in constant pursuit of a desire that's never really fully satisfied And kind of from that perspective, people want love, whether it be at a societal level or individual level, to function like a drug um, and give them this like immediate sustained high. And once that high is gone and they're not really willing to do the work that love demands, it makes them, you know, let go of things that no longer benefit them.
1: Yeah. And then another thing is, I'm going to say this a lot in my review of the book, too, because at the end, we're going to kind of give you a review. But a quote she said that was interesting that I did share with a lot of people in my life. I know I shared this quote with my mom and my other friends, but I said, it said, in patriarchal culture, men are especially inclined to see love as something they should receive without expending effort. They do not want to do the work that love demands. And I'm not saying, you know, this is true to all men or whatever. I do think in today's culture, both men and women are coming to conclusions where they believe that love should just come to us all. And when we do have love, we we have it and it's done. There's no work that needs to be done. So I love that she reiterated here that love demands work and it's not love if it doesn't.
0: Yeah. And I think part of something being a lot of work connects to what we were initially talking about with things being risky, because people don't want to invest in something that isn't going to like, fully benefit them or lead to some sort of positive Mm -hmm. outcome. And that prevents them from, you know, seeing love how I think it should be seen in its true light. Um, And it's interesting, because. This book kind of came into my life, or rather all brought it into my life. And <laughs> forced time, it into her life. In a time where I feel like I was being thrown so much information about what love means and you know what community means and things like that. And I think, you know, something that the book did well was sort of concise concisely giving definitions of things and She sort of defined community as this commitment to rejoice together, mourn together, and to delight in each other and make the other's conditions our own. Mm -hmm. And that is a very loaded sentence, but one that I think covers a lot of what community has always sort of meant to me, but one definition that I struggled to fully conceptualize in my mind.
1: Yeah, and... She goes on to explain how, like, these are evident in a lot of organized communion, um, like churches and religion-based organizations. But she also touches on how in other places of the world where capitalist culture doesn't necessarily or isn't necessarily the norm, um, more so in rural areas of the world, you do see a bigger sense of community and love at the center of the culture's values. So this whole thing of, like, community and greed are very opposites, and she explains that at the end. Like, if you are selfish, you know, you're not putting a community's needs um, first and, like, your own needs within that, but greed makes you kind of view it the opposite. So it's a good reminder to you know check in on everyone in your life don't make don't just be like oh what does this person bring to my life in this second you know everything is very much ups and downs and if someone in that moment isn't doing the best that doesn't mean there isn't love between the two of you and that like they don't fulfill you in the moment you know it's Mm -hmm. I don't know that's just my views is I don't think with at least the way I view friendships, because I do think, you know, my community, because I don't have a lot of family around me nowadays. Um, it is filled a lot by the friendships I have and the close friendships I have. And I, you know, throughout time, I'm like, at times I'm there for my friends and mm-hmm. they're there for me but it doesn't mean at all times that you know that they're always here for me I have
0: to you you have to do the work too yeah whoever said relationships for 50-50 was deeply wrong um it's like the whole thing of sometimes it's like 80-20 and all this stuff yeah people go through periods of their life where they need more support and vice versa right maybe and overall at the end of life it is 50 or it should be 50-50 yeah.
1: but you can't say 50-50 every day that's ridiculous (laughs) (laughs) so the next part which i loved when she was getting this is kind of getting in the meat of love and getting into the chunk of it but um she talks a lot about how the value of love and love is a value and she starts it by saying how there's no fear in love and but The fear that we have about love and being vulnerable to people is what keeps our society from trusting in the nature of love so I feel this highly because I do think it's very hard for me to be vulnerable and the act of being vulnerable sometimes makes me want to vomit so (laughs) it is very true that you know a lot of times I do just keep to myself and to the people I trust because of that
0: And I think a lot of fear of love also comes from experience, either our own or seeing other people. And because we live in a society where there are so many selfish people, we get scared of being that vulnerable to people in our lives or to new people. Mm -hmm. But I think it takes away from the point of life, which is to experience and feel right. And so it's, I think it's something like we all kind of have to work towards, not giving up on love, like love didn't hurt you, like somebody that didn't know how to love hurt you. Yeah. And I think that's applicable to, you know, friendships, family, like relationships.
1: And if you needed another reason to understand that love should be the center of everything, <laughs> um, she quotes that all the great social movements for freedom and justice in our society have promoted a love ethic and that is very evident of everyday occasions, you know, and I also saw the quote somewhere where it was, like, if people aren't, like, you know, with social movements, if you necessarily don't have compassion or empathy for what's going on around the world around you, it's not that you're being ignorant in the ways of Researching what's happening or what's going on, it's really that you're shutting your heart from understanding what's going on, you know. And I think that's super powerful understanding that, like, love connects us all in all these movements and in life in general. And that's the common thing we all have with each other.
0: So, and so much of social movements is advocating for, you know. yourself to but also yourself to take up space and the people around you to be able to take up space you know big words like you know politics government all of these things are supposed to be representative of people and what bigger need than for people to be loved and welcomed in a place right and for society and other individuals to show up for them in that way yeah Going back
1: to the whole vulnerable thing, she did mention that in all kinds of relationships, many people are unable to listen to their partners because the expressed hurt that a partner is trying to share with you triggers feelings um, that you or they themselves choose to silence. Um, So, for example, if someone comes to you and is kind of trying to find solace in you with a feeling they're having. If that feeling strikes too close to home, the first instinct always is kind of to like, try to silence the partner rather than to sit and share that moment. Um, But love needs that. We need to listen even when it hurts. So when we face pain in relationships, a lot of people's first instinct is to sever bonds rather than maintain that commitment and to communicate and try to work through it so it is very much easier said than done because you know everybody's instincts is to kind of just shell into themselves but Mm. it does reiterate time and time again that love requires work and without it you might as well just move on to your own parts of the world
0: and I think that a lot of people equate like, you know, this sort of defensiveness that they have as um, them advocating for themselves, but I don't think that's always the case. And this is something I said to Ala earlier, but I was talking about how, you know, we have one mouth and two ears for a reason, because it's so important to make space and hear someone out, hear their needs out hear their feelings out, because I think that is the that space in between when you listen and before you respond is what makes love and connection possible. And it's so, so vital that you're not just listening so that you can respond and you're listening so that you can truly understand that person. Yeah. And
1: it gets summed up perfectly when she quotes single most cause of destruction of relationships is selfishness because in the end you do need to put your partner's interest on equal footing as your own and if you are being super defensive about your own interests or you know kind of singling out well this is my life my interest that's yours your interests you know it, it gets too black and white when necessarily that isn't what life love is you know it's that where do we share in all of this and How can we be one unit rather than two separate units?
0: Yeah. And this is what I was saying is interesting is that I think, although this is in some ways like an outdated book, I do think in some ways she kind of phrases things in a way that invites you to a lot of present thoughts and concerns that people have. Um, And, you know, I think we need to normalize this um, act of critically evaluating your partner and yourself to better understand your needs and desires and their needs and desires and whether, you know, you're a good match and things like that.
1: Yeah, she was comparing finding a partner to buying a car. where <laughs> And I think that's too simple. But she was saying how you do really need to be um, thoughtful when it comes to choosing someone you're sharing your life with. And she touches on the notion that, you know, writing out a list and journaling about it isn't as, like, ridiculous of an idea as people make it seem because you really do need to evaluate where you are, what you need, and what you're going to need in the future. Again, back to that whole idea of, like, loving yourself and being um, more... Thoughtful with yourself and understanding yourself a little bit better in order to find love or be open to love that matches you and reciprocates you in
0: that moment. And I do think when you practice self reflection to that point, it really does help you understand other people too and overcome these barriers um, when someone's trying to communicate with you because it's similar to the conversations that you've already had with yourself.
1: Yeah. And also, trying to see the person you're analyzing for who they are in that moment. She highly emphasizes that you need to accept your partner as they are, and she says in the book that you have to accept them on the level on which they express themselves without any delusion that the potential is in present reality. True love accepts the person who who now is without qualifications, but with a sincere and unwavering commitment to help them achieve their goals and self-indulphment. So it very much is, you know, Iman, where are you at in life right now? I accept you for where you are right now, but I'm also gonna be there to be a support system for where you are going in the future.
0: Yeah, and it kind of goes back to this whole thing of like, not just in friendships but how is it that people are like married for 30 years or like love their child their whole life is you always have to meet someone where they are and know that people go through different phases and change through life and you know what life throws at them and you really all you can really do is be there and support them through those phases and remember who they are like deep down but it's funny because I feel like the whole
1: Delulu thing we have in our society or like in at least the girls I talk to or like my friends I talk to, we all talk about like, oh, the guys that are kind of in our lives Mm -hmm. and how we get like hot and cold symptoms or, you know, do they they like us? Do they not? um, Are we making up realities about who they are? All these things, but just having to remind yourself the person the other person is presenting themselves as right now is who they are and how much they can be in that moment. Yes, maybe you do see this potential for them to be this great, amazing thing you think about before you go to bed. But (laughs) it's like reality is that's not the case. And you have to meet that person where they are in that moment. And if that's not enough for you, then, you know,
0: move on and find someone who is. Mm -hmm. Find someone who's your equal and someone that um, you can grow with, not have to wait to get to the place that you want them to be.
1: Yeah. Because you also don't want, like, vice versa, right? You can't just change overnight yourself, even if someone has these expectations for you. I think I've faced this a lot in really in friendships, too, where uh, maybe in that moment, someone expected something of me, but I'm just not there yet. And, you know, I am on my own growth journey. And obviously, I'm going to try to be better in the future and work towards being better. But I can't just like flip a switch and be exactly what that person needs in that moment. I can try my best. But you know, so Mm -hmm. it's like having don't have expectations for other people if you don't want them in reverse.
0: And I do think it takes a long time to unlearn behaviors. Like I was just telling Allah, like I've been thinking like for the first 18 years of my life, I thought about certain things a certain way, mainly because you grow up with your family and you grow up in the same place and things like that are around the same people. And I think it was only really like when we went to college that I feel like I started questioning so many parts (laughs) of my life. And that's even a lot of people don't do that. But I, I think I just have this crazy, like, need to, like, figure out my jumble of a life sometimes. But I do think it kind of goes the same is that sometimes you have to just take people at face value, like, whatever they're showing you is probably who they are, you know? Yeah.
1: And it's a sad reality, because, you know, sometimes you'll get into friendships or relationships with someone, because of the Potential good you see in that person, and then you know you'll be like a year or two in into that relationship, friendship, whatever it is, and you continually not see the outcomes, and you're left kind of, I mean, disappointed. But if you think about it, you kind of not to be like, well, it was your own fault, but like you know, you you made room for that disappointment to occur because you weren't willing to accept it two years ago. Yeah. (laughs) okay moving on (laughs) um so the ending of the book she goes into talking a lot about love and death and then like healing with love so we're just gonna kind of try to wrap it up with that but the one thing i really gathered from the death chapter which it was a heavy chapter but she kind of expresses that when we become obsessed with the idea of death To the point where all we think about is the idea that death is going to come for us, you know, it's hiding around the corner, we're going to die any instant now. Um, We make life less real. And only by kind of accepting death and overcoming the fear of death can we live fulfilledly with love and just try to have the best life we can imagine.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I had a different perspective from Allah on this, but. I also very much skimmed this chapter, so I don't know if I fully (laughs) grasped what she was trying to say. But I was kind of thinking from the perspective that because death is inevitable and because death is this scary thing, but when I say that, I haven't really overcome my fear of death. But because it's this thing that is so unknown and ambiguous that happens to us um, and happens to everyone, I think it almost makes me want to bring love into my life more and to like they say like live every day like you're gonna die right in the sense or live every day like somebody else is gonna die and lately it's actually really interesting I feel like I used to have a lot of like fights with my parents and especially since like I moved back home it's it's such an adjustment after college to be living with family again um because it feels like you're a kid again but it's interesting like when I have a fight with my parents, I used to go like sometimes days, like maybe a week without talking to them or and vice versa. Like we were just like a whole family of like silent treatment sometimes. And now like within the day, sometimes within like a couple hours, if I don't like make up with my mom or make up with my dad, like I fight with my mom more, but love you, mom. Um, but <laughs> I think it's like this drive that I'm like, okay, life is too short. Everybody's going to die. Make up with your mom. And I don't know why that's something that helps me sort of in my day to day. And it's not even necessarily, I think, the fear of death, but it's this feeling like you won't always have access to people. So to kind of go out on as good of a note as you can and not have regrets, you know? Yeah.
1: I think it's also inevitable to say how she touches on the fact that love surpasses death. So, you know, even. If there are people in our lives that we don't currently have, it doesn't mean that the love isn't there. The love still resides within you. So, yeah, it's a good reminder, too. And then she talks about healing with love because she starts the chapter by saying how, you know, people who have had love and lost love were so susceptible to wanting to shut down from love and. you know kind of going into the whole cynical point of it of when you lose love then you become so judgmental of love and I know I've had like conversations with people who just had a breakup and I feel like most people the first few like times you talk to them when they go through a breakup it's like love isn't real love doesn't exist love sucks what's the point of love all these things but the, that's like the first instinct are you for, talking about no no me? but i'm saying that's for everybody i listen I to think a, she's talking no about no me. it's everybody i'm not kidding because i listened to this whole podcast too of like I'm like, Mm -hmm. this girl just went through a breakup. Why Mm -hmm. is she talking about love right now? You know, maybe give Mm -hmm. it a couple months. He'll see, like, Mm -hmm. see it from a logical standpoint rather than Mm -hmm. this emotional standpoint of, like, I'm hurt. I hate love. What's the point of it? But she very much was, because even Bell Hooks was saying, I think, like, she's had many relationships, too. So she's, Mm -hmm. like, she was also saying from her own experiences of being engaged and all these things and being in these bad romantic relationships that, Every time she also felt that way, but it mm-hmm. didn't stop her Event inevitably from continually yeah. being
0: open to love. And it's so interesting because in the chapter that she talks about some of her more serious relationships that, you know, either like her parents met them or things like that. She kind of comes out of that being like, but I learned so much about myself and I learned so much about love by going through you know, sort of those relationships like that. And I think that's kind of the point is that don't shy away from love just because you've been hurt. Keep an open heart.
1: Yeah. And it should just show you that, you know, experiences and past loves, that's all it is. It's an experience that shaped you into who you are today, made you realize, what did I gain from this love? Did it make me understand love better? And what can I take away from it into the future? And what can I kind of bury into the ground and leave
0: it where it was? It's so interesting to me because, like, I feel like I'm usually one of those very dramatic people after a breakup. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I – listen, it's hard out here, okay? But I think it's interesting because when you first get out of a relationship or something like that, you feel, like, super sad. Like, it's obviously a loss and things like that. but Because you're
1: mourning the love, but also you're mourning the fact that you were so vulnerable with this one person and now they're not even.
0: I think there's also a fear that you're not going to have or share that type of connection with someone again. But the point I was trying to get at was once you get past that and you get to the point where you do fully heal and you do, like, you know, later on down the line end up meeting someone new that you do feel something like that for, you look back at your past relationships and it's almost like a thank you for, like, giving me whatever experience I needed, for giving me whatever lesson I needed, Mm -hmm. because all of that brought me to where I am now.
1: Every person you encounter does that. I mean, I've been in situations where I didn't even end up in relationships with certain people, but even those encounters taught me so much about what I want in a relationship. You know, if there was, like, a talking phase I was going through, and then I, like not to say, like, I got the ick, but, like, you know, like, if I was kind of over the talking phase or the talking phase fizzled out, then it made me kind of, in a weird way, like, the universe brought me the person I wanted in that moment, and I think the universe has a weird way of kind of having things work out, and that's kind of what she also reiterates, is that you kind of need to trust in the power of love, and that it will come with patience but you when it does come make sure that you also do the work for it you can't just sit around and be like oh well (laughs) you know it's just gonna keep being like this forever and love's gonna be great yeah 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 no you gotta it's all effort it's all time
0: and i think because the universe has a weird way of like sending you the people that you need to meet or things like that it's important to not like rush into things just because you're lonely and you want that like kind of like we were talking about in the beginning this sense of connection because if your goal is just to feel connected it's not wholly represented by love Mm -hmm. so those were all the
1: most the chapters and what we thought were super important but you know I've also heard a lot of reviews that with this book people come to it in the future again and every time they read it you know like based on the place they are in the moment they gain more insights and different insights. So these are just the insights we gained from the age we're in right now. So I'm sure if we go back to it there's always going to be times I'm going to be highlighting different things or taking away different things. So I highly recommend the book to anyone out there who wants to understand love better and kind of see love all around them but I will say the book is outdated I think it was released like in early 2000s so she does talk a lot about the gender dynamics in love and I do think it's too like she makes it become too separated in like the female male roles in love which some of it is insightful but a lot of it I'm like okay it's a little bit not true of where we are today because we have progressed a lot to this point so i tried to skip a bunch of that and also she really heavily focused on religion towards the end of it um and talking about christianity i'm not saying what she was saying wasn't useful to what she was trying to indicate but I will say like some parts of it got too much where I felt like I, it didn't need, but it did give good context and it was overall interesting to have it all laid out in front of you.
0: So I did love it and I'm sure I will go
1: back to it in the future.
0: Yeah, I really enjoyed the book as well. I think it provided a lot of really good perspective on love in different contexts. And I said this before, too, but I do think she provides a lot of really concise definitions of love in different contexts, whether it be talking about community or talking about um, familial relationships or romantic love, um, love at a societal level and how we show up for people in society and how society reacts to lovelessness. Um, And I think that was part of the beautiful thing is she talks about what love should look like, but she also talks about what it looks like when we do live in a loveless society, and sort of how it's not just love is not just something that's seen in like the context of romance, but also if you look at something at a societal level, and there is that much lovelessness and cynicism that's been spread, you can see it kind of trickling down into um, smaller aspects of society on an individual level with families. Um, And that was super interesting to me. And I think that overall, my perspective on it and what I really got from it was that love is viewed in so many different ways in society. And its definition and its understanding is ever changing. So it's important to sort of solidify your own definition of love. and truly live by that and by living by your definition of love and what you know it to mean you also attract things and people that align with that yeah in the end you know what i take away
1: from this too is very much what iman said to make sure to prioritize love sorry english skipped away from me for a second make sure to prioritize love and see it in all forms of life oh my god love and life um, and to romanticize love and to live fully, romanticize life with love and live fully. Sorry guys. And you know, for Valentine's Day, Iman and I went on a cute little date and we went to the planetarium as well. And I think when I was sitting there and just watching everything and understanding how little specks of dust we are, and I love the planetarium because it really does make you feel really small. And We're so irrelevant. little and
0: we have such big emotions.
1: I mean, yeah, but at the end, like, nothing matters.
0: You know, I think that's...
1: Nothing really <laughs> No, but when you're sitting there, it really reiterates all these stressors we have in life. Those are the things we always think about in the back of our head, and we don't really think as much about the good that we do about the bad. And, you know, in the end, it's all going to end. So might as well live life fully and try to find love all around you. It doesn't mean that, you know... Maybe right now you don't feel like you have love around you and we all think we're in a state of lovelessness, but the reality is there's love in everything. You know, when I see, for example, me, when I see nature and I see like flowers and plants and my own plants I have in my <laughs> in my own room that I'm trying to keep alive, that's a form of love in my views too. So just make sure to have your rose colored glasses in that sense too. Live a fulfilled life.
0: Thank you, everyone, for listening in today.
1: hope you enjoy and have a great Valentine's. And if you don't have a Valentine's to share with, be our Valentine's. Or be your own Valentine. Anything else? No. We love you guys. We love you. Thank you.